Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. Good morning, afternoon, evening, midnight, you tank fanatics, you March Madness experts, everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Draft Strickland. I'm here with a very special guest to give you the second episode of us talking about our extremely beautiful, wondrous 2022 Nick's specific NBA big board. And to help me, I have none other than Stacy Patton, who you can find on Twitter at Stacy Patton. You may know him as the writer of many, many a hit Nick's drafts piece. You may know him as Emmanuel Quickly's online bodyguard. Or you may know him as the guy who just pops up in the replies <laughs> with, with puns. All the time. Stacy, how's it going? <laughs> I don't think I will ever have a better intro than that. I could win the Nobel fucking prize. I'm not gonna win have a better intro than that. So um so I appreciate you for that, Prez. Yeah, um, unless I'm the one introducing you for the Nobel Prize, in which uh, case you have a chance. So But before we get started, I would like to announce the Strickland does have a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's many tiers, a six dollar tier. That gets you access to this podcast. Uh, you also get access to the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord where we talk about the Knicks all the time, 24-7. Uh, there's live game chats. It's a fun time. Uh, there's further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best Knicks writers in the business. You also will get access to my Solo podcast, Trick and Roll, uh, where I yell about the Knicks quite a bit, uh, even more if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, there's further tiers. There's a $50 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those get you access to a variety of further things like merchandise discounts, live watch parties, listening in on podcast recordings, even potentially hosting a podcast yourself alongside us one day. But whether you choose to subscribe or not, None of this would be possible without you. Your support is appreciated. And without further ado, let's talk about the New York Knickerbockers. Um, so yeah, for uh, people who forgot or are too lazy to pull up the big board right now, or you're on your phone and you don't want to go to the website, the top 10, uh, which was decided by a secret, secret proprietary formula that you can read about on the same page where you can read the top 10, um, of our big board was Chet, 
Ivy. Prez, just just having known the process, Prez basically reinvented Bitcoin. Exactly. And added way more complexity to create this. So don't be mistaken. This is like the most scientific ass shit you could ever think of. Yeah, nobody on the internet fucking with my my processes here. <laughs> um, this, this is very, very serious business. Um, number one overall was Chet, who is now gone from the tournament. Haha, <laughs> too bad, Gonzaga, losers. Number two is I would have been Ivy. happier about that if Michigan <laughs> didn't miss 8,000 layups. Sorry. Yeah, I wasn't going to try to slam you too hard, but uh, I mean, they had a good run. You know, it was number season number two. That's for worse than a slam. The little pat on the head is worse than a slam. I don't know, man. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> this is what I saw, all right, man? So Jaden was number two. Jabari Smith, number three. Wait, sorry. So Chet, number one. Yeah, Chet, one. Ivy, number two? Yeah, he came out number two. Okay, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> um, Jabari Smith Jr., number three. Paolo, number four. Um, Shaden, number five. AJ Griffin, six. Johnny Davis, seven. Benedict Matherin, eight. RIP Arizona, as usual, uh, failing <laughs> in the in the uh, the crunch time moments. Um, number nine, Tari Eason. And number 10, Jalen Duran with uh, Keegan Murray at 11 looking on the outside in there. So, um, again, that's a couple of people's opinion put through some math and uh, filtered through the lens of what we would do if we were Leon Rose. So, uh, before we get into the non-top 10 and, you know, should the Knicks tank to ensure they get within the top 10 and stuff like that, uh, any, any reactions to that top 10? Um, I think it's pretty much in line. Man, two through four goes back and forth for me for a, a lot. And then I watch Holmgren play, and it's like, eh, like you know, at times <laughs> it's uh, well, like with Holmgren, every time I watch him play, he'll have a couple of plays. I'm especially talking about the tournament. Mm-hmm. But I have a couple of plays where he just gets bullied or something, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm, but also like you look at it at the end of the game, I was like, oh yeah, like they were way better off with him. <laughs> um, it's tough. I I am kind of the person. To, let Let's start there because I am the person to. I am the person to take like outlier. Like if the only reason someone doesn't like someone else is because they haven't seen someone like them. I'm going to be the one to bet on that because I think that when people don't know what the fuck they're talking about, that's when the most opportunity is available, but there's downsides to that too. You know, I mean, yeah, some people sure. would say poker. So, um, yeah, like what's your whole, you know, and Chet, obviously as good as he is, could not, carry uh gonzaga beyond the sweet 16 so what's kind of your thoughts on that well one interesting question i've been finding myself with not just for chet but for a lot of the top 10 guys is the question of how good of a situation were they in like these guys are all really talented so it's no question that they all benefit their college teams immensely um you know we could debate about the degree but they're all game changers at the college level but the teams don't always accommodate them as much as they help the teams, right? And that happens every year, right? Like some guys have 
sacrifice stuff. Kentucky guys always play some specific role and hide some talents, blah, blah, blah. And I've been thinking about that in the case of some of these guys. And um, I feel like a lot of these, this year's class in particular in the top 10, they, they actually sacrificed quite a bit to to help their teams to theoretical success. And I include Chet in that. I, one example that I was talking about uh, or that I was thinking about, I was just curious, like he he's going to be able to shoot over guys, right? Like jump shots, like Kristaps. And he takes plenty of threes. We know that. Like Kristaps got to be have, that's doing a lot of work right there, by the way. But, <laughs> I mean, he's like, I think we're like, hoping he's going to be a whole up, hell of a lot more than 28% from three. Um, yeah. Mark Cuban's team, after being traded for what became... <laughs> anyway, we won that trade. But the point is, fuck KP. Exactly. But... Fuck KP. Chat. they got some similarities, but um, they're very much superficial in a lot of ways. Um, but one thing that they both have in common is they shoot, they got high releases, and they're very tall. And Chet, guess, how many mid-range jump shots do you think Chet took? I don't know if you saw my tweet, so you, you might have you might have the answer. But if not, you mean a raw number? That that's gotta be yeah, the raw answer. number, the total number of jump shots inside the three point line that Chet had this. Season. I'm gonna estimate he had 30 games, so I'll say 70. He had 11. Yeah, it's 11 mid range shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's no guess I would have had that would have been close to that. No, that's what I'm saying. So like, I don't know if he's a good shooter i know he's a good shooter i don't know if he's a great shooter or an elite shooter whatever he made like 40 percent of his threes and a lot of his free throws so he's a pretty good shooter but like because of drew timmy and the zags offense he wasn't asked to do any of that and i'm like against collegiate players playing power forward you can't tell me he could have like he had a 72 shooting percentage he could have taken five mid-range shots a game, still had a 60-something true shooting percentage and probably scored like eight more points a game very easily by just taking mid-range shots. But he didn't. So, like, is he going to have trouble sometimes getting mid-range shots off because he's very weak? Maybe early in his career, but at the same time, he's also like eight feet tall, so pretty sure he's going to be able to get some of those off regardless. And that's the stuff that I'm saying, like, we we ask questions like, okay, like Chet, yes, he does sometimes struggle to create and sometimes he gets bodied and he doesn't have the raw bucket getting outputs that these other guys do. But I'm like, yo, if he wasn't playing with Drew Timmy and his coach was like, hey, seven foot three jump shooter guy, take some jump shots inside the arc like yeah. Jabari gets to do, then he'd be scoring all these points and everybody would be like, and he'd still be doing all the other shit that he does, like passing and well, I mean, and defense. from an advanced stats perspective, he is like Zion level, yeah. right? Or like every the, the other people on his list are like Zion, Mobley, and like Franz, right? Yeah, it's all um, people with ridiculous advanced metrics. Um, which he's, he's on that list, so... Uh, yeah, I mean... And that's not I to say he's like, you know... Like, I'll take any of those. Anybody who has any of those guys, number one, I won't read. Like, that's all reasonable to me. But I who just, are those guys? The just, top four. Yeah, that's so. And the top four, just so everyone's clear, mm-hmm. is Paolo Jabari. It's our top four. Yeah, 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 exactly. Chet, Jaden, Jabari, and Paolo. And they all sac. Like, I think all of them have sacrificed. Like, well, Jaden hasn't really sat. I mean, he could get more on ball touches, right? Like, he played with a point guard and a point big, and he always played with. 
pretty much two bigs who didn't shoot for a lot of the game. So he was doing his thing without as much space as some other guys in college. Um, Paolo was playing without a point guard and basically was the best passer on his team. And also... Is Paolo this year's Jason Tatum, right? Someone who's... It's a good question. Because his three-point stats haven't popped, but he's mm-hmm. excellent for mid-range. That was a Tatum thing too, right? Mm-hmm. I um, was stupidly low on Tatum, so I remember. <laughs> yeah, I was low on Tatum too. Or, you know, I think I had him seventh. So not as high as I should have. Um, is that a, you know, how do you think about Paolo in that context? Paolo, I don't know if he... What he sacrificed to me is he, he took such a difficult shot diet for the sake of his team because he basically was asked to just create an isolation i think the percentage of isolation plays he had is if i recall is much higher than most of the other top 10 guys and that's a hard you know it's it's hard to be a a good iso scorer and you know paulo's a guy who's like i hope that in the nba he learns how to just he has all these tricks and the footwork and the finesse and the mid-range, but sometimes I'm like, yo, just bludgeon this motherfucker and yeah. just beast him out. Like, which one do you think is tougher to teach? That's like purely, by the question. way, a press. I, I cannot prove you wrong on that. I'm I, just I very curious on your opinion on it. I don't know the answer. And I was, um, no, you don't, but what's your gut? So I was talking to, um, shout out Omar, uh, in the Strickland discord. We were talking about this earlier and, there's examples of some guys who seem to be a little bit offensively, physically averse turning that shit up in the NBA, right? And two guys who come to mind are Scotty Frank Barnes Milikina. a little bit. I mean, <laughs> I mean Frank. <laughs> yeah, uh, Scotty Barnes. And then the, the biggest example I can think of is DeAndre Ayton, who, if folks don't remember how yeah. he ended his college career, getting uh, run out the building by Buffalo. Uh, it was not great. Nobody on that team was taller than like six eight, six nine, and that dude knew he was getting the top pick. Oh yeah, weird. still the dude was getting worked by like, and that's what I'm saying. He didn't know how to leverage. He was playing power forward half the time at Arizona, and it was like, ah, I gotta hit this mid range shot and uh, jump hook, blah blah blah, and that stuff is all good and super important in the NBA. But like at some point, when you're two fifty. You gotta just move people out the way, and and Paolo sometimes plays like he's like two hundred pounds. And can they teach that? Like Aiton learned it, Scotty Barnes learned it, Franz to some extent. Like he wasn't not physical, but I feel like in Orlando he's like, oh yeah, I'm six foot ten. You, there's nothing you can do once I get close to the rim. Like, <laughs> so there's definitely examples of guys not doing that. Like, like I, I find myself wondering. He, he could turn into a bully like Aiton or Randall, or he could turn it end up more like Jabbar, uh, not Jabbar, like Boris Diaw or Luis Scola. And both of those guys were really skilled, but they were big and strong and relied on finesse more than strength. And obviously, that's a disappointing outcome for Paolo. But like, yeah, I don't know. That's that's the main goal of whoever picks him is like get him to tap into. I don't know, make him do some fucking. Muay Thai or MMA or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> um, what do you, do you think? think? Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. Do you think it's a fair assessment to say that Paolo has the best chance of being a primary initiator in this draft? Because I don't think that's a crazy opinion, and I also do need to think about it. So, 
Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a crazy opinion. I don't think there's anybody who's a slam dunk for it. I'd say the closest... Akivi is who comes to mind. But mm-hmm. Jabari's, Jabari's, Jabari can be like what everyone hoped Porzingis would be, actually. That's not... And I'm not talking about, obviously, how they look or play, but Jabari can be an elite defender who is also an elite play finisher, right? Um, Holmgren can be an elite defender and play finisher. The only other guys that I can think of as initiators are uh, are Paolo, Ivy. There's like an outside shot of Johnny Davis. Sorry, Omar. I I do. I will use the word Omar. Uh, no, no, I will. <laughs> I use the word Omar because you you my boy, and I appreciate what you said. But um, I will use the word outside here. Um, you know, how do you think about those things? And also. I'd actually be curious about your opinion on this because, like, how do you weigh, weigh, like, an okay prospect who has more of a chance to be a primary initiator versus a guy who has a very good chance to be a elite finisher? Like, if it's a, if a finisher is 65 true shooting, right, on a lot of threes and just can dunk whenever they want, is that worse than, like, a mediocre finisher? Um, you know, like an Oladipo. It's like comparing Oladipo type to like a, well, I guess Jaron Jackson, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I think Oladipo versus Jaron Jackson. Where do you come down on that? Um, you mean like prime Oladipo? <laughs> no, I, sorry. I I said Oladipo. Uh, Capella versus Jaron Jackson. Oh. So you have, yeah, let me put put it that way. You have two different finishers. One is more diverse. No, no, no. no. Sorry. So I, I said Oladipo versus Jaron Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I'm going back and forth. I'm sorry. What I'm saying is like a mediocre but decent finisher versus an elite finisher or potentially an elite finisher. And I haven't looked up Jaron Jackson's stats in a while, but if he's like a 58 percentile guy, fair. But like, you know, if there's like a 63, 64 percent guy who just dunks everything and hits a bunch of threes and can protect the rim. Would you rather, how do you weigh that versus someone who's like, has a good shot to be a a solid um, primary initiator? Well, it depends what other skills they bring to the table. So for me, it's not like I kind of reject, and maybe this is a cop out, but I kind of reject the binary. So like Paolo, he has the the tools to be a scorer and also a, a passer, which is why, you know, he has probably the best chance of becoming an engine. But, like, I, I think he's going to shoot fine in time, and he's probably going to be a pretty good finisher. And is he going to be as defensively impactful as, you know, Jabari or Chet? Absolutely not. But, like, the NBA is a tough league, so you if you're going to be really good, you probably need more than just one. Like, even if you have your engine, like you need other guys who are like quasi engine, like, and uh, the, the nuggets are an example. Like look what's happening to them with Jokic, but without Murray or Porter jr. Like those guys are elite play finishers, but without, you know, those guys and their flawed shot creation abilities, the Nuggets are, they might be fucking around with the playing game, even though they have the MVP. So, like, yes, I understand why some people might rather have Jabari than Paolo because Jabari's the better 
play finish. He has the, you know, the better number two, number three profile, but I don't think it's quite that simple because you need more than one guy with initiation capabilities. You just need your top guy to be really good at it. So just because Paolo falls short of that doesn't mean, you know, it's but like one way. Like I mean, he's been great. Hopefully. He's been fantastic. I'm just saying if, if, if the people who are lower on Paolo are correct and he falls short or whatever, but like Rand, even Randall in his all NBA year, I think most Knicks fans were like, Oh, he's probably best as like a number two. Right. But, like, I, I guess. Yeah. Like, and I'm going to hold you to this. Cause I think it's just crazy ass question to ask. And if you don't have a good answer, like, but if Paolo has a 30% chance at being a primary initiator and that's decent. Yeah. That's very good. Um, and no one else has that, but guys like Ivy or, you know, um, Jabari or Chet have a 40 or 50% chance of being a high level number two. How do you weigh those two against each other? And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I'm Wouldn't just... Paolo also have a, a similar chance of being a high level number two though? By definition, <laughs> that's a that's this is now a sub question because <laughs> so I think, but I think you need to because most of our fans, most of our listeners are Knicks fans. Mm-hmm. And who is the number one player that Paolo Banchero has been compared to? Or sorry, Paolo Banchero, it's it is Bancaro, right? Yeah, Bancaro, yeah, yeah. So it's Paolo Banchero. Um, who is the number one player he's been compared to? Julius, right? <laughs> so we have seen. That when that is not working as a number one option, it does not elevate the team in other ways either. Um, so yeah, are, what are the number two pathways for Paolo or a the number three? Who, a guy who can dribble, pass, shoot, like extremely high level, right? Like can create, can carry an offense in for spurts. Can how would you compare him to Julius' prospect though? Well, the, Julius is like kind of useless for. For draft purposes, because prospect Julius, prospect Julius was a big man at Kentucky. He was a four, but like the guy, he had like a his free throw rate was over seventy. It was crazy, and he wasn't shooting threes, and he had passing flashes. Like I distinctly remember one March Madness game where he had six passes because they were doubling hard. I don't remember who they were playing. I mean, six assists, and they were all really impressive. And that's when I first learned he could pass. But he pretty much remained a a big man for most of his career until he came to the Knicks, even when new in new Orleans, when he was at his best, he was 50% of his plays were roles and he was playing center half the time and playing with AD and all that shit. So like he just at age 27 discovered he could do wing stuff like shoot and pass. And Paolo is Paolo, he's not, obviously, he's not as good as 27 or 26-year-old Julius Randle at 19. But, like, the fact that he can, that ha- that he has that combination at 19, like, I see why people want to compare it. But it's also a little unprecedented because we ha- we don't, six foot ten, 240-pound guys didn't do what he's doing until very recently, right? So it's kind of hard to compare Um what that ends up, how that development curve looks like to me, the, it goes back to the question you asked before. It's like, can he get a little bit more physical and efficient? Is it, is it a question of being physical? But so like, his free throw rate is very like mediocre. (laughs) So, so 
Let me ask you, this is the Knicks fan, because there was a tweet today from a Magic fan, uh, I think it was Vogberg. I don't know if you oh, follow Oh, yeah, him, yeah, but... no, I saw that tweet, yeah. And it's like, Julius could never make this pass, which it was a different type of pass, and it was a nice pass from like from the top of the key. But um, you know, Knicks fans are used. Knicks fans have seen a ton of great passes from Julius Randle. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. Um, they've also seen him miss a bunch. You know, how would you compare Paolo's feel and ability to be that? Like, is he Julius as like the guy who can hit open threes, and then once he could do that, everyone has to converge on him, and then the reads are simple. Or is he really an advanced read guy? I think he's more of the the latter, and I think that's one difference. He's so on a spectrum of if Julius Randle's a one and Jokic is a ten, where he at? Oh, well, Julius wouldn't be like a one, but Chris but I'm not like but one. <laughs> I, I made the scale up because this is my motherfucking scale. All so right. on the Stacy scale of offensive the, feel, with yeah, exactly. Two thousand twenty-two Julius being a one, I, and and Jokic being a ten, I would. I mean, given that he's doing this stuff at his age, I would put him for his age. I would say like at minimum a six. Like I think I'm very comfortable saying like just looking at the top 10, it's like Chet, Ivy, Jabari, Paolo, Shaden, AJ, Johnny, Benedict, Tari, Durin. I'm going to keep going. Keegan, Sohan, Bochamp, Tai Tai, Kendall, Jovic. Paolo's probably the best passer out of all of them. Like, and I don't think that's you. Can, Chet and Ivy are are solid passers. Matherin's a solid passer. What about guys like Ty Ty or Chandler? Would you Ty, put them? Ty Ty and Chandler are up there. They're they're very good passers in their own right. But like, the fact that he's right there with them and he's Paolo. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. That's right. pretty. That's pretty legit. Um. So, uh, I I mean, I I just find myself. You know, to the question of what are they sacrificing, right? Like, Duke doesn't really do guys favors. Um, it lets them sometimes get volume stats. Um, but really, like, Jason Tatum, Brandon Ingram, like, RJ, you go down the list and, like, all of these guys had dings on them at Duke that ended up being, like, false flags to some extent. So I wouldn't be surprised if that also happened with Paolo. Um, I do want to keep us moving a little bit. Yeah, my let's bad, talk dude. a little I, bit. I, no, no. I, I could nerd out with you on this shit for like. I think the last time you came on, um, you came we can on. Make this a two-parter. Two- I don't care, bro. <laughs> nah, but I, I appreciate it. But um, but yeah, uh, go forward. I, I'm curious for your thoughts on the uh, this part on on five to twelve because that's really the shit that matters because we know Adam Silver is not going to let us prosper and flourish, so we're not going to. Um, be in the top four so uh you know guys like Shaden and aj johnny matherin Ezen, durin keegan sohan like where are you at on, on this bunch for the knicks like how who's who are you crossing your fingers for these days yeah i think i think griffin Shaden, matherin and davis form a pretty close five through eight um, I think three of them are similar with small differences. And I don't mean to say similar, you know, before some AJ Griffin fan says, <laughs> do you really think that Benedict Matherin can shoot the way he does? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I think Sharp, Griffin, and Matherin will fit a similar archetype, at least early on in the league. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe Griffin has some untapped potential as a primary. Maybe all three of them do. I don't know. Uh, I think Griffin's is probably the most interesting because he's just a fucking insane shooter. I have a Griffin question for you. Yeah. So I've been thinking about AJ Griffin and trying to see if I should rank him higher. I had him six behind Shea, and I've been even thinking, like, should I rank this motherfucker in the top four? And I might just be going at the part of the draft cycle where I start going crazy, but I'm like, you know who he kind of reminds me of in terms of his prospect profile in the near term, at least? Like, he definitely has significant long-term upside with his, you know, his history and his age. But, like, he's kind of reminds me of Desmond Bain, right? Like, both of them before the draft pretty much have unimpeachable shooting credentials. Like, you literally can't really design... Yeah. A more impressive 18-year-old shooting season than A.J. Griffin's having, right? Like, he's not just spotting up. He's hitting all of the kinds of threes from left side, right side, above the break, step back, off the dribble, off the catch, movement, whatever. And he's shot 40% every year that he played ball in high school. Des Bain was obviously way older, but he never even sniffed 40% from three in college. Every year he was at, like, 43, 44, 45, and he ended up, like 44% on like 500 attempts or something by the time he hung it up. And everybody's like, oh yeah, obviously in a redraft, it's different class or whatever. But like Des is firmly in the top 10, if not much higher. You know, he plays solid defense, even though he got T-Rex arms. And now on Memphis, he's scoring inside the arc a little bit and doing a little bit of connectory passing. So I'm like, if AJ Griffin is similar-ish, but taller and has a longer wingspan and theoretically a little more off-the-bounce upside. Like, what are, are am I sleeping on A.J. Griffin if Des Bain seems to be his floor? Is that too... Am I crazy for saying that? Yeah, I think Des Bain as his floor is a, is a good thing is to mention. Be- because what were, what were Des Bain's two biggest question marks as a prospect? Uh... Well, his T-Rex arms in terms of his defense and then, uh, I mean, eight, you're talking like actual on the court, right? Because like age was the flag, but that's yeah, not I said, Yeah, my point was age and wingspan. Right, it's right. It's two things yeah, yeah. that do not apply to AJ Griffin. <laughs> so he's Desmond Bain with, at 18. Without with, his two red flags. arms? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, I'm, so I'm like, huh, that's interesting, like. Why Why is he, like, yes, Jabari's taller, but, like... Oh, you're comparing that, those two. It, That's, well, that is a bold Well, they're, they're shooting... Pro- I'm, just, I'm just asking questions here. They're shooting prospects. I mean, and it, 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 you it, have to bet on one of them. This, but degree of difficulty, though, on the two, do you think that the same? Because, like, my... And I don't think I've watched either of them mm-hmm. as much as you. Do you like because it seems like Jabari's hitting these crazy Kevin he Durant does. shots? He does, he does, he hits more ridiculous shots because he doesn't re- like he's just like, no, I'm but not should that like, matter? Like, yeah, yeah, know. yeah, totally. No, 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 totally does. And that's part of the impressiveness with, with uh, with Jabari is like, he's like, I don't care if you're in my shirt, like, it doesn't matter, I'm still gonna shoot this, so what? And I'm 6'10, I have long ass <laughs> arms, and you're not gonna do anything about it, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely true, but. By the same token, like like Jabari has the height and the difficulty, and but if you had to like 
plays odds on how on, on each of these guys being effective inside the arc, scoring and passing. I don't know what odds I would put on both of them, but I would put AJ's higher, hundred percent. On B, sorry, can you say that again? The your odds I, on what? I'm sorry, I confused it by saying odds and then saying hundred percent. So <laughs> I yeah. if you if you had to put odds on how likely it was that AJ or Jabari would become effective inside the arc, scoring and passing in the NBA, who would you have as more likely to do that? Inside the arc is a loaded question. Inside, inside the arc, inside six feet, AJ. Sixteen to six to twenty-three. I would say Jabari still. Okay, well, I'm gonna ask you the hard question anyway, and just say generally in terms of like scoring, like being a winning player inside the arc, like helping your team when teams force you inside the arc. Because that's what they're gonna do for those guys, right? Is they're gonna try to chase them off the line with varying degrees of success, of course, because. These guys can both shoot from probably the logo when it's all set. I mean, shit. I think Matherin has an argument there. Uh, yeah, Mather, Matherin, Matherin definitely has because I think he's the arc he's the more. best passer vision player out of the three. Mm-hmm. Uh, he definitely does. I just put him. Um, I, I put him to the side for now because I don't. He's a very good shooter, but I don't think he's like Jabari and AJ. Are different. Are, yeah, they're, we're they're doing, like historically good right now. We're mentioned. I mean, really, the comps that I've been thinking about in my head are AJ Sharp and Matherin, right? Yeah, me too. Um, like I don't think Jabari is really on that tier, mm-hmm. but the, like I still think Jabari's better as a prospect. I was just putting that out there to show that, like, we. I mean, might how much? How much do you? Day. How much do you? Sorry, one second. <laughs> How much do you weigh results versus kind of the eye test in looking at finishing? Because I'm last year, sure. I'll, I'll give an example, right? Yeah. Last year, um, and Chuck and Dart, shout out Chuck. I I was very, I was, you know, trying to um, <laughs> make my, uh, I was trying to mitigate my Scotty Barnes pick. Because I had heard from a lot of people that he, he couldn't finish at the rim. Even though he was a 68% finisher. And tall. And, <laughs> and arms. when I brought that up, they're like, maybe he's not a good finisher. Chuck shit on me. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, like, I, that's what I had thought. Mm-hmm. Um, Jabari is a little bit of the opposite. Where, um, you know, but no, he's a little bit in the same vein. Where it's like, the you know people are like he can't really finish. I mean he's six ten, seven foot two wingspan, smart player, excellent touch. Are you worried about that? Like how worried are you about that? Yeah, as a rule, I don't worry about finishing for players over at players six six or taller. And the reason is because usually they reach an equilibrium of only taking reasonable shots for their height and skill. So like it's very rare for a player six six or taller to like take overly ambitious shots for their situation. Generally, RJ was one example, and he's coming around. Um, uh, Precious, there's not really not that many examples. Precious is another guy who's tall but tried to take layups like he was fucking Kyrie Irving half the time. 
Um, his finishing stats are awful because of it. But usually, you know, big guys are, you know, they're taking their open layups and they're fine because they're big. Like, it's pretty simple. So I'm not really, I'm not really worried because if somebody's a less skilled finisher, they won't take those shots and they won't be, they won't be forced to take those shots that are beyond their skill level. And if you're tall, that gives you access to plenty of finishing anyway, for the most part. So you don't have to like go crazy. I mean, when you're talking about playoff competition and, and all that shit, and then it gets a little dicier, but um, you know, like everybody remembers Jared Jeffries dropping the pass from Carmelo, right? Like I'm sure Jeffries was overall a fine finisher, but like in the playoffs is different because you get forced to do stuff. But on the whole, like I'm, it's not a meaningful concern for me. Jabari's finishing. Jabari doing stuff inside the arc, like, that is more of a concern. Like, when doing stuff, you mean kicking out or moves? Just generally doing stuff other than shooting over people and finishing easy layups. So, right. for example, like, Kristaps is a great finisher. And, you know, no, he's probably not going to be the mid-range. Kristaps is a decent mid-range shooter, but I, I expect Jabari to be a little bit better mid-range shooter. No, well, a little like, bit? Come on, man. You can lay in. You're right. You're right. This is a Knicks prod. No. A Knicks prod. So, well, I mean... <laughs> My point is, like, Kristaps inside the arc, even though he's a good finisher and a decent mid-range finisher, he's not really, like, impressing no one because he's not a passer and he's not doing shit off the dribble. But I, 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 I do want to talk about this because I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Kevin Durant... This is... I'm going to set an upper bound because I believe this is an upper bound if someone has a different one or if you have a different one let me know anybody's more upper bound than him from the mid-range <laughs> yeah so he this season is absurd yeah <laughs> uh but 58 percent from 16 to 3 point feet 10 to 16 52 percent 3 to 10 52.7 for his career let's go with his career because that's a little bit less uh, this is an insane person 45% from 3 to 10 feet, 46% from 10 to 16, 44.7 from 16 to 3 point. Here's the thing. With Jabari, for me, like, I appreciate the de- I appreciate kind of that it's unusual that someone could be that great at offense. And not just that great at defense, but great at defense in the ways that, like, you know, if someone's great at offense, they're like, yeah, I don't need to pay attention to certain things. Like, he defies that, right? Like, right. he has right. amazing feel. Uh, he combines that with length. He's, I don't want to say he's Draymond on defense. Like we just had this conversation in the discord, but like he is that he's really he, good. He's in that vein, right? Where he just, he knows where to be and he's really long. Um, he has a chance to be the first ridiculous, ridiculous shooter. Who's a ridiculous defender. Yeah. Like, I don't know who else you could really Steve like, Novak, not, but yeah. Aside from Kevin Durant and Steve Novak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Kevin Durant for like, Three playoff series, by the way. Hey, man. <laughs> um, but, I mean, A, how much does Jabari's upside depend on ridiculous mid... Because, yeah, I think I think he's going to shoot 40% from three. I think most people oh, do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think so. But, like, the differentiator, because everyone now knows that, you know, mid-range is not the thing and you want to shoot threes. Um, how much does it, A, matter that he needs to be a crazy good shooter for mid-range. And how likely do you think that is? And I mentioned Durant as like an upper bound, but mm-hmm. Chris Paul, DeRozan, all of those guys, like, do you think he can reach even those levels or? 
Yeah, I think he can. Um, I, so, like, he can reach the level of like DeRozan or Chris Paul from mid range. Not um, I, I kind of agree with you. I just want to make sure that just, we're like to set some more bounds for people. Like Jalen Brown is an elite mid range shooter. Jalen Brown is in the upper forties from mid range. So like, there's lots of guys who yeah, but not at the same volume, right? Or level I mean, of pretty, pretty significant volume. You'd be surprised. He's really a bucket. Um, he just doesn't pass ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, I I just. I wouldn't be mad at anybody for just regressing and saying like, he's more likely to be very good than elite from mid range. Like you look at his field, his field goal percentage on two point jumpers is 37 this year. Jabari, that's not elite. That's fine. And whatever. Like, I still think he's going to over time, this motherfucker might not even be done growing. Like he's probably going to, I think the worst he is is 40% on, on mid-range jumpers because he's so tall and he's such a great shooter. So, um, a certain think, Knicks guard who isn't a real point guard is shooting 43% on mid-range jumpers. Who so. knows? He might go back to not being great, just like Julius. So don't jinx it, man. Um, quickly <laughs> and Julius. But... Quickly and Julius. He's not built like that. A <laughs> couple <laughs> Bible verses take care of any regression. And... But forty percent even seems low. I guess that's for for Jabari, right? I mean, that guy can shoot over anyone. He's not getting shot blocked. Has an amazing touch. Even that seems low. Yeah, no, you he. That's what I'm saying. Like, if he's only a forty percent mid range shooter, then he's still going to be a very good player because he's still going to be a very good shooter and defender. So that you know, high floor. But as far as upside goes, I do think him hitting closer to the upper bounds matters a lot as a shooter more than it does uh the other guys even the other shooters like AJ and Sharp and Matherin because um while Matt while while Jabari's definitely the best defender of the bunch um I think those other guys probably project to do a little bit more in terms of like driving and shot creation in that way and finishing but who knows? Maybe Jabari gets that, you know, develops that too. It wouldn't be unprecedented either. So it's a good question. I don't know that I have a answer I'm confident in. <laughs> um, one question I wanted to ask you regarding this bunch. So like put AJ aside. Um, I guess put Shay aside because he's like, he's very similar to AJ in a lot of ways and that like, okay, he's similar shooting like if you buy him being a very very good shooter even if he's not historically elite like he may make up for the slight difference in shooting with the athleticism and all that but um Matherin and Davis are pretty divisive I think um so here's my first question what are the odds you think that Matherin is can become better than Quentin Grimes in five years from now if you look at who's the better player 75 is my knee jerk, but yeah, I think because so let me look at the stats though. I, I haven't looked enough numbers. Well, the reason I ask is like Quentin Grimes, obviously, he's an elite shooter, he doesn't have anywhere near the athleticism Matherin has, but he, I think, it's important to remember that Quentin Grimes has clearly exceeded expectations as a defender. Yeah, I think, but I mean, if you look at some advanced stats. There is a little bit of murkiness around that. I'm just talking more. I don't think he's a great defender. I do. 
But I'm going more off the eye test for that because he yeah, definitely he's has some fair- mistakes too I, on I eye test. Like, but I'm I, saying he's 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 a rookie, so like he's supposed to have, you know, he's not going to be like a like an All NBA defender his rookie year. But the stuff that the stuff that typically you can't learn or you can't teach on defense, like he has that right. Like if you look at most of the All NBA defender guys. It's not like when they were rookies or second year players, they were they completely internalized like rotations and sniffing off ball actions and all that stuff. So I think at least to me, Quentin Grimes on ball defense, if you assume he's gonna have some passable average level adjusting for him being a rookie. Right. Like I think I'm very confident saying Matherin it's possible that he could get there, but I don't think it's like promised or likely. Like he's fine on defense in college, but I never watch him, and I'm like, oh my god, like future. Like I think he's kind of like a RJ level defender, and that's fine. RJ's a good defender, but RJ's not going to get all defense votes. Well, maybe he will once he's an All Star because the Knicks fan base is is a uh, it's pretty intense. But um, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you? It, 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 like I guess my question is, how good does Matherin have to be at the non-defense, non-shooting stuff if you think he's going to be a worse shooter and defender than Grimes? Although, I guess I should preface all of this by saying, do you think he's going to be a worse shooter and defender than Grimes? You know more about shooting than I do. I mean, Matherin's a pretty good shooter. <laughs> But he, so looking at the stats, uh, so looking at the form, to me, his form looks pretty similar and good. Yeah, his form is I beautiful. actually think his versatility is a little bit better than what I saw from Grimes, but um, Grimes was taking 15 per 100. Matherin is at a still very good 11.8 per 100. Yeah, that's pretty high. Um, and shooting a crazy rate, um, but also on a better scene. Um, so shooting, I don't know, defense, um, I think off ball Matherin, I think I like his potential a little bit better because of Mm -hmm. his length, because Mm -hmm. I, I know his feel. I, I, he knows how to play the game. I watched the guy play on offense. I watched him on defense. Like he knows where to be. He knows what the right play is. He knows what the right place for the other team is. His length is not that much better than Grimes, though. Yeah, well, that's what I've been curious about the last week because on NBADraft.net, there was some event where he was 6'6 six, six by 6'9, six, mm-hmm. which is. That's solid. That's an inch shorter than RJ in each direction. So he's mm-hmm. basically. He's like better than Grimes, but. Like an inch more than Grimes and an inch shorter than RJ, right? Yeah. Uh, but an inch shorter on both ends, right? So um, I don't know where to put him. But the other part of it is that crazy good three-point shooter. Yeah, so is he better than Grimes as a three-point shooter? He could be, but that'd be very... I think he's I, shown, like, those 11.8 attempts or whatever. That's a lot. Like, he does... He has more versatility than Grimes showed in college. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, Grimes has showed that versatility in the pros, so that's what makes it tough. Because Grimes, I've seen like Grimes has that ability where like there's someone on him, but wait, I caught it ten feet above my head, or sorry, I caught it, 
you know, a foot above my head and I'm just going to shoot and there's nothing anyone else can do about it. Does Matherin have that ability consistently? I don't know. It's funny because Matherin, uh, Matherin, like, he doesn't have quite as high as a release, but he jumps so high that it's actually yeah. similar to Grimes in that way. And if you, honestly, if you look at, like, but Grimes. I mean, there's a delay and all that, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Grimes is at 38.5% on uh, 12 threes per 100. Like, I could see Matherin doing that. I mean, Grimes is at that now, but in college he was at 15, which. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the craziest stats, Grimes at 15.1, Bones is at 14.9. Um, as anyone knows, I did not ever say Bones would be good at basketball. Oh, wait, I did. But um, but even IQ was at 8. <laughs> yeah, so those are insane. And that's not because IQ didn't shoot threes. It's Those are insane numbers, right? And I think one of the reasons why, like, it, yes, it's very hard to get to 15. Um and there's a reason why most of those guys don't stay at 15 in the NBA. Or even, uh, I mean, even 13 or 14, but yeah, good. Yeah, good. like, you just, you're not the center of the offense anymore, so you're going to get less shots per 100, which includes threes per 100. So that's what happens when you your role gets downgraded. So, Math, you know, Matherin's the, he's the man, right? I mean, their whole team is stacked, but when it's all said and done, there's going to be a couple of NBA But I mean, guys. would you expect a similar decrease? Because, like... Not a similar. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that Grimes going from 15 to 11 is. <laughs> um, I think his increase was actually more than Quickly's, probably because Quickly already was playing with a lot of, you know, very good players. Um, but I mean, do you think Grimes is taking less because of the talent, or I mean, because like he he is still number two in terms of a temp rate per yeah, hundred yeah. after um, you know, Evan Fournier, so college basketball fans join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. You cost new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets. If they do, it's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the college hoops action with DraftKings pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers, then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Now use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. If you or someone else you know has a gambling problem, Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537. That's for Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming. 1-800-NEXT-STEP, that's for Arizona, 1-800-522-4700. For Colorado and New Hampshire, 888-789-7777. Visit httpccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut, 1-800-BETS-OFF. That's for Iowa, 1877770. Stop seven and or text seven eight six seven. Or sorry, that's seven eight six seven. Uh for Louisiana, eight seven seven eight Hope NY or text Hope NY four six seven three six nine New York. Visit opgr.org for Oregon. Call text TN call or text TN Redline one eight hundred 
889-9789-Tennessee or 188-532-3500 for Vermont. 21 plus, 18 or over in New Hampshire or Wyoming. Must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Vermont, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See httpdraftkings.com slash sportsbook for details. Yeah, I think it's I think it's because of the role and like, you know, it's the NBA. Sometimes guys are going to run you off the line a little bit more and and other guys are on the court who are also really good shooters like Fournier or Quickly or whatever. So um, I think one thing that's interested me about Matherin, you know, we were talking about who's sacrificing and who's not. Matherin doesn't play with good spacing, but he very much does play. I think he, more than any of the guys in the top 10, plays a role similar to what he would play in the NBA in terms of the diversity of shots. Like he does, he's not forced to score inside the rim or really take a ton of bad shots. Um, he gets to run in transition a lot, which, you know, a smart team that gets him will have, will facilitate that. He cuts a lot, which he'll probably do because he's not going to be the best player or second best player wherever he goes. So in that sense, like even though Grimes' threes per 100 fell, I could see Matherin's holding steady or like maybe dropping to like 10 or 11 or something like that. But um, it, it, it's just I don't think he's given up much. He's just he has the good fortune to be in a spot where it feels like he can play his game in a similar way. Maybe a couple, you know, obviously he's not going to be the number one scorer, but like like a slightly scaled up way compared to what he would be doing in the NBA. So um, that's not to, that's not reason to like drop him or raise him or anything. It's more just something I was thinking about. <laughs> um, but moving on, uh, Johnny Davis is another polarizing guy. I could actually see him dropping. Um, you know, he... He was definitely hurt to finish the year that I could see teams being like, uh, his efficiency is questionable. His size is, you know, like say he, we've heard six, four, six, five, like say he goes to the combine, takes his kicks off and is like six, four and his wingspan is like six, six or six, seven. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think he's the sort of guy who's going to go into a gym and hit 85 out of a hundred threes, like IQ. If he does, he's going to rise up boards a lot. But like, when you consider other guys in his mix behind him are are very toolsy, right? Like Matherin, Eason, Duran, Keegan, even Sohan, who you know did everything for Baylor, but like can easily go into a gym and knock down a zillion shots. Hardy and Dyson, the G League boys, who are ending their season really strong. Like Jovic is six ten and can come into uh, a gym and knock down 80 out of 103. So like Johnny's a bucket and a defender. That is very rare. But like <clears throat> if the Knicks are picking 9, 10, 11, I don't think it's, you know, a lot of people are assuming Johnny's going to be off the board and I don't know that. Um, so I'm, I'm curious where you have him for the Knicks compared to a lot of these other twos like Matherin and Sharp and, and Griffin because Davis doesn't really bring the things that the Knicks don't have, right? Like he doesn't have connectory passing or elite athleticism. I mean, let me, let me ask you this. Shooting. Let me ask you, do you see him ever being a 38% three 
three-point shooter on medium volume. What's medium volume? Five to six attempts per 100. Oh, that's like low volume to me. Oh, <laughs> or, sorry, nine. Let's say eight or nine. Eight or nine. Okay, there we go. That's more ambitious. If he's shooting 38% on eight or nine attempts and it's like, say, mostly catch and shoot, but like a salt-based sprinkle of pull-ups... <laughs> Um, I would, I don't know if that's a, a 50th percentile outcome, but I wouldn't say it's seven. I would put it maybe like 60th, 65th percentile outcome. That's a pretty good outcome for him though. That's a pretty what? That's a pretty good outcome for him given what he's shown, right? Oh yeah. I think that would be a a fantastic outcome for him. It's just the reason I think So even if that is only 60th, 65th percentile, that's the question. Yeah. I think the higher outcomes for him don't involve percentage or even volume of threes so much as they involve difficulty of threes. Like the dial would shift for the upper outcomes for him. Then you're talking like equal amounts, pull up and catch and shoot, or even more pull up threes than catch and shoot threes, stuff like that. Like that's, that's where it is like, Oh shit. Like he's a, he's not just a bucket for college. He's like, made the transition that quickly is making or that Jalen Brown has made like guys who become major pull-up threats who like Davis has a, a pull-up game. It's just inefficient and he doesn't have the accuracy to sustain the volume. But if he can like in the upper outcomes where he sustains that, that's when you're talking about like fucking a super saiyan two guard scorer here right like that's a that's a really good offensive player but that's why it's 90th percentile and not you know 60th percentile for sure i think it's it's tough like for me to pick davis it i have to believe that he's going to solve the next rim pressure problem Mm. because i think the two biggest problems are first of all everyone says the Knicks need a real point guard and um, for a variety of reasons, not limited to people don't really know what they mean by a real point guard when they say that. Um, you know, I don't think I think that's misguided, right? But what the Knicks are really missing is someone who can score at three levels. Mm-hmm. Johnny Davis has scored at the two highest, the two hardest levels, in my opinion, because they're always contested, mid range and. Like, to score efficiently in mid-range, and that's not to say that mid-range is better. Like, this is not an analytics debate, but he has been an extremely efficient mid-range scorer despite the fact that everyone knows he wants to do that. That's a tangent question I, I did want to ask you, so let me just jump in and ask you that. Like, how how do you, like, his his team had awful spacing. Do you, like, is, is, is that a game changer for him coming into the NBA, or is it just nice? It's nice. Um, I I think that what he has shown in terms of his bag and all that shit stands on its own. Mm-hmm. This is more of like a. It, I think that it matters more to me to be like, wait, did Johnny did Johnny Davis get all of these attempts at the rim because his team was Wisconsin and they have a bunch of white boy shooters? <laughs> and <laughs> now, well, that's what actually that's what they usually are. By the way, they usually yeah. play a stretch five. Not this year. <laughs> <laughs> not this year that you're right um 
They were 295th in the country at three-point percentage. <laughs> right. So um, so I think it's... If, but to me, it's more of a... Um, you shouldn't disregard what he's done because I think what he has done is, is very impressive on its own. Um, so if I don't have to disregard that, I don't need the added benefit of what the spacing. The question to me is how much can he extend that to three-point range? Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy at Louisville who was a second-year player, was a very effective shot maker with good form that was 32% from three. That guy got drafted 13th and became Donovan Mitchell. Is that Johnny Davis? Um, is Johnny Davis more someone who is going to take three-point opportunities when they arise but never be that comfortable with them? Does that matter? Given how good he is in mid range, that's a tough shot to get. Um, I don't know. Um, it's simil- how do you think his? Because a lot of these same questions are questions I was asking about Deuce last year, right? Like fifty percent oh. of Deuce's shots were mid range shots, and because he took so many of them and they were difficult, he wasn't elite at them. He hit them at a good clip, but he wasn't. Elite. I think the difference for me is that Deuce didn't take a ton of threes, but he was over forty percent. Yeah, like Johnny on volume is is not that like and, and maybe like that's a good that's another follow up like how much should I care about that like I can tell Johnny can shoot should I care that much about his percentages? Yeah, just that's the shooting evaluation, right? That's the tricky part. Like, yeah, do shot forty one percent from three on, and six, I do like his form better than Johnny's too. If you don't, then no, I, I do no more. I about do form. as well. I do as well. I think Johnny's form is good, but it's not. It's not like, like we got Deuce and Grimes with pretty ass forms. Like yeah, that's right. pretty nice. We got the beauty pageant of forms, we do. and then we got IQ that's result in the opposite, despite not the greatest forms. So. IQ is like when you're playing a video game and you just like assemble a fire weapon for your character that like doesn't fucking make sense, but it's like an <laughs> yeah. overpowered weapon and it doesn't right. look cool, but that shit just destroys people that's that's how deuce is mechanically um so yeah like uh johnny has similar volume from three deuce has 6.3 per 100 um johnny 6.8 obviously 30 only 30 percent um johnny doesn't really have significant guarded unguarded splits catch and shoot off the dribble splits from three he's kind of just around 30 percent for all of them um he's really good at long twos jump shots but been really bad at short two jump shots so normally i like long twos as a as a significant indicator so that's kind of good i don't really know what to make of him being whack at short twos because i don't know like does that include floaters or push shots or jump shots or whatever um they're both good free throw shooters deuce and johnny so I don't know if he's quite the shooter that deuces, but I feel pretty good saying he's better than a 30% shooter from three. So, yeah, I would have to agree with that. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, um, the, I mean, so let me, let me shift gears a little bit here. Um, so I have posted about the draft a little bit. I post about Benedict Matherin, and a few people have said, well, the Knicks need a point guard. Is there a point guard in this draft that you think is is 
on the level of the Knicks' current point guards? Um, being Deuce and Rose or Deuce and Quickly? I mean, being All Quickly. Four, but yeah. Damn, uh, you did that McBride hate. Ooh. I said Deuce. You said Deuce and oh, that was quickly. Uh, Deuce, you said Deuce and Rose or Deuce and quickly. So I meant to say all three of those. I don't know what the fuck I was talking about. Yeah, um, I'm you, not I'm not, I know you like Rokas. I know you're down <laughs> with the Rokas cause. So. Oh, Rokas, I'm just assuming he's staying over. So that's a whole nother convo because he already said in an interview, he's well, like, so I'm like, not trying to come to be a, a fucking 10th player or whatever. <laughs> which I agree with because yeah. if I was quickly or McBride, I would feel the same way. But uh, Urson Demir is pretty convinced he's gonna come. So, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe. Who knows? Like, yeah, I mean, Urson be keeping up with the. He's the one who sends me all the articles for interviews that all the Barca guys, all the Barcelona dudes have. So maybe, maybe he will come. Urson will probably know better than I would. But uh, I know they got a complicated buyout situation and whatever, whatever. But um, yeah. Anyway, so like. I mean, obviously, I love Alondis Williams from Wake Forest. And do I think Alondis Williams, 23-year-old next year, will be better than whatever, 22-year-old Deuce or 23-year-old Emmanuel quickly? Um, He's definitely not going to be better than quickly. Uh, He's definitely not going to be better than Rose, assuming Rose is healthy, which is like a fucking coin flip. So uh, I'm going to kind of put Rose to the side for now. Um, Deuce is interesting because I think Deuce has his jump shot and his defense and his passing are all very fucking good but like he does have to what he does have to work on is the same shit he worked on in the G League which is like alright creating out of the pick and roll and not necessarily getting all the way to the rim but just like Creating like quickly does like just not making getting the first the like probing a little bit right probing or like not giving away that you're gonna take a mid range shot because he one thing that I I've really enjoyed about the Knicks recently is um, with them playing faster and quickly playing and running the show more it allows them to get more than one action in each play like more than one pick and roll and it's like a foreign concept to Knicks fans who you know when I'm like oh Fournier should get some high pick and rolls and they're like no RJ deserves the most touches of that and then our point guard should get those and then Julius should get those and I'm like okay everybody should get those because you can do more than one of them per possession and like double the amount that the Knicks actually have in a game if they play to a pace so like once the Knicks play that way, it allows the secondary playmakers to secondary playmake, which is not something that our Knicks usually do with Julius slowing the fuck out of the ball and Burks also slowing the fuck out of the ball. So um, provided the Knicks do that, I think you'll see Deuce's playmaking shine a little bit more. But I don't think... I think Alondis can come in on day one and uh, probably be the best of the bunch at getting to the rim. Just because his, like, physical traits and gifts like his is speed. he the only player that you would say that about in this draft i mean would you, you don't think kennedy chandler would be the best at oh yeah there? yeah he kennedy would definitely be better than all the knicks point guards aside from rose at getting to the rim like i don't doubt that he's extremely gifted in that respect um especially for his age uh it, it, with kennedy i'm not i'm not worried about that i'm just it's the other I mean, stuff is, I'm Ken, about. is it fair to say kennedy chandler is the best point guard prospect in this draft I mean, not to me. 
as long as Alondis Williams is in the draft. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I, first, first of all, we're both agreed that Kennedy Chandler at this point, and I agreed the other side of this with Oscar earlier in this year, Oscar <laughs> NBA. And I think I'm 99.9% of the time right. And Oscar sucks. But that time I didn't have Kennedy in my top 30. <laughs> that time I have come to realize, <laughs> um, but is Kennedy the best? Is Kennedy better than um, is Kennedy a better prospect than JD Davison and and Ty Ty Washington and Ty Ty? And if if he is, but you still don't think he's the best besides Alondis, is there anyone else? And if it is just Alondis, yeah, like we always got room for talk about Alondis. So. Um, I would say I like Montero and Ty Ty more than Kennedy. As, you like Ty Ty more than Kennedy too. Well, Ty Ty, I like more overall because I I do think he can play off ball a little bit more than Kennedy can because he's a little bigger and he's a little bit better of a shooter. So yeah, it, that's just like so you it's know more of a versatility thing than like the pure point guard. Or right, exactly. Pure point guard is a stupid phrase I've had to hear too much. So let's say that for the bulk of what you would hope to get out of them, right? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where Ty Ty's strength is to me. Is he's he's versatile. He's um, you know, I mean, would you compare him too quickly but, at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely some differences, but like I know people were like, "LOL." Kevin O'Connor said Ty Ty has shades of Emmanuel quickly, but they literally have like the same measurements. I think six three, six nine. I don't know what's quickly yeah. six nine, six ten wingspan. Something but one like that. of them was not a good three point shooter in college. And a great mid-range shooter, and the other one didn't think mid-range and was a great three-point shooter, right? Yeah, both of them had to deal with Kentucky weirdness. So so yeah, I'm kind of throwing some of the numbers out. Like, quickly, like you said, like, he, it's kind of crazy that he didn't shoot double-digit threes per 100. But he was, he, was, he was the third guard, even though he was the player of the year. In terms of touches, like, Hagens was the number one on-ball guy. Maxi was weirdly off ball running off screens like fucking rip hamilton and then iq was kind of sandwiched in the middle there so like it was just a weird situation for him and and ty ty wasn't really allowed to shoot off the dribble threes so he like that's one thing i'm very confident that he'll shoot more of in the nba um and his his form is is fucking beautiful so i'm pretty sure he's gonna shoot that thing and uh like he his stats took a dip once he got hurt and he came back. I don't think he should have came back, but he was probably just you know, he's trying to hoop, whatever. Like I'm not gonna fault him for that. But um I don't think he's a I don't even see, I can't even say he's not a quickly level shooter, because I really do think Ty Ty's a fucking great shooter. But he's not doesn't have the athletic gifts that quickly has, um for sure, um, in terms of strength or speed. Um so I mean, that's crazy. My 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 assessment is the opposite of that. Really, physically, I, uh, I think that quickly is a much better shooter. I don't trust Ty Ty from beyond the arc. I don't ge- think he generates enough from his lower body, or has the flexibility from his upper body that quickly does. Like you can blame it on the lower release, but results mm-hmm. are results. But I also think Ty Ty is more gift. Like I've seen him do more acrobatic finishes i guess maybe that's the laziest way to term this but no no he's definitely given me confidence that he is more athletic than quickly so i'm like on the opposite better or worse i'm not saying who's a better prospect i'm just i have the 
which I, I don't know, I'm not saying that I'm right and you're wrong, but it's no, interesting I, I, I that think we're it's just legit. seeing different. I think you're actually right about the, because I, I use the athleticism like lazily, like how fast does he go and how high does he jump? But you're right. Like in terms of the other stuff, like stopping and being flexible, Tai Tai is actually very gifted in, in that respect. But you would um, say vertically that Quigley is a better athlete. Um, he's not, not really. I don't think any, either of them could really jump over a shoebox, but Quickly's fucking fast, dude. Yeah. That's I think that's the most slept on part of his game. And he's kind of got despite his name, you know, shit. Exactly. Despite his name, but he's kind of gotten, he's still like slim, but he's, he's pretty strong now. He's learning how to like take contact and all that shit. So. Yeah. I think another year, like Marcus smart is an extreme, but I can see quickly being like Pat Bev level jacked. I yeah, think he can like, reach that level of strength. He's gonna be—he's gonna perpetually be one of those guys who's stronger than he looks, and we've already seen that, right? Like with his random rim contest and shit like that. Diggy's a great rim, but he like for no fucking reason. The, the, everyone wants to compare McBride to Pat Bev, but I think on defense, Smart is a better comparison for McBride. But I think Pat Patrick Beverly is like an interesting comp for. Um, for IQ on defense, and if that's IQ stupid, just doesn't, then let me know. he just doesn't do the like in your shirt shit that Pat Bev does, and that Pat Bev is very good at. And also, he's not a dickhead, I, is what you're saying. He's not a dickhead, exactly. And Marcus Smart is like in your shirt in the in the scheming, intelligent way, not just like I'm not really caring about defense. I'm just trying to get in your head. I don't think Quickly will ever do that because he's not an no, idiot. No, but I, I was, so, yeah. So for Smart, I was comparing Deuce to Smart. I think that's a oh oh. I would compare Deuce to Smart. And quickly, and this is purely defense, and yeah. and quickly to Beverly. Yeah, I wouldn't compare any of them to Smart because Smart is so fucking gift. He's like, he's like a defensive genius. Like it's that's the one thing about Deuce is Deuce has physical gifts that but are you don't think his feel is on that level. No, no, that's the biggest room for. It's so funny. He's like, he's like on defense the equivalent of a player who can like windmill from the free throw line and is like six foot eight, um. but like hasn't quite put all the offensive tools together like he'll randomly be upright and get beat and then he's so quick laterally that he can get back into the play or he'll like fall asleep off ball or die on a screen because he's more andrew wiggins than paul george on defense yeah i wouldn't say wiggins that's a little disrespectful but the same vibes okay well you mean now wiggins or like back in the day wiggins now wiggins Oh, oh, oh i thought you meant like because you, for most of his career, Andrew Wiggins on defense was an insult. Yeah, of course, but he's become a decent. Yeah, yeah, no. I now guess that's, maybe yeah. maybe Wiggins. I'm talking about guys like Paul George and Kawhi have both, right? They have yeah, all exactly. of the natural gifts, and they're really exactly. smart. Um, where you're just saying Deuce is probably more like 75th percentile in terms of feel, or maybe lower than that. I don't know. Yeah, no, exactly. Like somewhere in 65, 75. Yeah, I would agree. Which that is like he, he knows how to play, but uh, probably even less than a guy like IQ, right? Yo, 100%. I would say IQ's feel is way, way ahead. Even if you compare them as rookies, like. And then if like Vassell is 99th percentile. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. Or like McCall is another one who's like the tools and the feel are off the charts. Um, it's so funny. This is the same thing that has happened with you. Is the same thing that happened with Tyrese, where I was like, we'll talk about a lot of the draft, and then we just focus on the Knicks part of the draft, which is totally cool, because this is a Knicks pod. Um, but yeah, we can we definitely move on. I'm sorry. Every time, no, every time I'm on a pod good. with you, also, I feel like we just always end up with tangents, because like, we always have like, 
I want to, it's like, I mean, you know, like it's like lawyers debating a case and like, just like you just end up going down these things that maybe are not the most pertinent things, but it's interesting to you. Right. So going on impertinent tangents is the truest form of education. I just made that up. You can keep it for free. Um, the last couple guys, we're going to make, we're going to make a poster out of that. But on Strickland, so I'm, that's going to be the, the, the title card for this pod is going to have no description of what we discussed. Just that quote. It's not, it's not even going to say who the guest is. It's just going to be like a fucking fortune cookie. Um, I want to talk about the, uh, the big wings who um, we're going to skip Duran. I talked about Duran a good bit with Tyrese, but I want to talk to you about Tari. You take a big in the lottery, man. Exactly. I'm not a savage. So uh, Tari, <laughs> Keegan, Sohan, and, Marjan Beauchamp, who I consider a big wing. We have him here. Alex listed him at 6'6". I think he's bigger than 6'6", so I'm going to make an executive decision and include him. So, like, I guess rather than talk about them as individuals, we can do that real quick. But first, I want to ask you, like, does assuming if Julius and Obi are both back, how does that impact how you view Tari, Keegan, Sohan, and Beauchamp? Yeah, I mean... I think that's a non-starter for Keegan. I've, well, no. I would rather draft Keegan and try to trade Randall at this point because I'm higher in Keegan's talent. Than Just assume, for purposes of this hypothetical, Randall and Obi are back. So, yeah, that affects Keegan and Terry. Who are the other? You mentioned... Um, Jeremy Sohan um, and Marjan. I think Bushner. Sohan... Yeah, Sohan falls in that too because as much as he's... It's the opposite problem of Keegan, where Keegan can shoot, but he can't guard the three. So on, I don't buy the shot right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I won't for at least two years. <laughs> um, so that's a no. Um, and then, sorry, who else did you say? You Mar- said Marjan. Yeah, yeah. He would probably be the, the, like, if I'm married to that roster, yeah, he'd be the one. Why? I trust the shot more. No. Um, I also trust just general three-level scoring. Like, Keegan can get to the rim, but a lot of it is assisted. Like, can he get to the rim without a screen? Beauchamp is the only one in that group who can do that. I mean, he uh, hasn't done we, much of that. Do you think that's... Do you it's think one of the can? things I've been struggling with, because he did, he did do a lot more of that before he went to the G League, and then he took no. a year off. And you then, know, Beauchamp or... Beauchamp, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm saying I trust Beauchamp's ability to do that. Yeah, he's a... I don't trust Keegan's, which is not to say I don't like Keegan. I think he's a better prospect. Yeah. But specifically for that, like, if we're just running back this team, Mm -hmm. I want someone who can score three levels, and Beauchamp gives me the best chance at that of the guys you mentioned. Yeah, I think he probably has a little more shake and bake. Although Keegan and and Sohan have shown flashes, so it's it's very interesting, because, like, Beauchamp, the Ignite this year and last year have done such a good job with their prospects, but they very much pick roles for them and are very explicit with them. And, like, Marjan, when I first wrote about him, not this year or last year, but before that, um, when he was a high school prospect, he was very much your traditional, like, wing, like, oh, he can create out of the pick and roll and drive to the rim and pull up threes but like they have him in a in a three and d energy motor guy role with the ignite so he doesn't really get chances to even run pick and rolls much 
let alone isolate. So that's one where like, yeah. So I, I, I agree with you that there. That I think that from what mm-hmm. I've seen of him in that mixed bag, yeah, and especially what. And I think it matters what we've seen from Dacian Nix and some of the other Ignite guys. That's true. You mean they, that they've had a little more than advertised? Yeah, exactly. Um, Kuminga, too. Yeah. Jesus, St. Peter's speeding Purdue. <laughs> Jersey. Jersey. Purdue is out a 7-4 player and a lottery pick. Jersey. Um, That's crazy. What's the score? It's 35-33, and there's 16 minutes left. I need, I need that dub. I ugh. I don't do a bracket this year. I have no stress. I mean, do you think the Suns Ivy down to the Knicks? Is there nothing worth send, getting... nothing sends Ivy down to the Knicks? <laughs> Stop! It's just not. It's not a thing. Um, but of the guys, so you mentioned Bochamp, um, Sohan, um, Eason. Who else did you mention? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. I said Eason. Sorry is the real. He's the one who's like. To me, I don't know, like not in not getting to. Yeah, the but I mentioned all three but... of those. I mentioned Eason, right? So those those three I mentioned. Is that okay. the only? Yeah, Beauchamp. yeah Bo- Beauchamp, Keegan, Tari, and wait, what the fuck? Where's my mock draft? Where'd it go? Um, but... what the hell? Oh, this is my board, not the big board. Um, final ranks: Keegan, Tari. So on Beauchamp, yeah, that's it. Unless okay, you want to yeah, talk yeah. about Kendall Brown and Jovic, or so I, I like also big wings. I like Sohan in a world where I'm Memphis Grizzlies. Well, I like any draft pick in a world where I'm the Memphis Grizzlies, but I like that where we we're not playing a, a strict stretch five, where our star shooting guard isn't a. I mean, I think I I buy RJ's shot. You know, if you look at the guys we're starting, yeah, it's tough. Because okay, we, we also drafted a bunch of shooters. Grimes and IQ together, that's going to be well-spaced, right? I don't know. Here's a question. Now assume Randall is gone and we don't get another power forward back. So our starting power forward is Obi Toppin. And for now, our backup quote-unquote power forward is Keegan's Cam. Keegan's my top choice. Three. Then Keegan becomes your top Keegan because my top choice. What about after him? What about who? Sorry. What about after him? Because to me, like for me personally, like not Nick specific, I have Keegan as the best prospect of, the, of those four as well. And then I have the other three after that. So Tari and then um, Sohan and Beauchamp. In yeah. Some order. I, I'd probably have the same order. If we don't have Randall, I'd probably be a little bit more willing to try so on. Um, I think there's reason to believe the shot, and I would take that home run swing. Mm -hmm. But it's also like if we traded Randall, it probably would indicate that the front office... The front office either traded for Dono and Mitchell, (laughs) right? Or they lean into the youth movement. Um, I don't think we can move Randall for Dono and Mitchell right now. So... I'm going to assume that means that we move to the youth movement, which means that if you really believe Sohan is the highest ceiling prospect, personally, I think Murray's a little bit better. Yeah, how that's would, fine. How would you rank the four of them in terms of ceiling? Murray, 
So it's Murray Sohan. Um, yeah, Murray Sohan, Eason, and Beauchamp. Ceiling? Oh, wow. Okay, so ceiling, I would say. Okay, wait, time out, time out, time out. Not ceiling. Let's say, uh, let's say like seventy fifth percentile. Because ceiling, I agree. Eason, because he's so much more athletic, yeah, that he kind of separates himself. So forget ceiling. Let's say like seventy five. I'm gonna go Murray Eason as a top two between Sohan and yeah, I'm gonna go with Sohan because. Because Beauchamp has been that inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And um, he's also I, older. He's older, and and I think that Sohan's shot doesn't bother me in terms of how it looks. It just isn't it's shooting well. <laughs> which is not, I mean, I'm not going to minimize that. And there's things that I probably miss as a, as a form evaluator. But, like, I think, can he be, I mean, is Nicholas Batum a good ceiling for Sohan or no? What do you no, think? I think that's a very good comparison. Um, Sohan is someone who Baylor has used that point guard, used the center, used that the three and the four. Like He's taller than everybody, but he can do a little bit of everything. Probably he's not going to be a high-volume scorer, but if he can shoot, probably not going to be nine points per game either. So uh, I think that's a that's a good... Higher-ish ceiling outcome. Yeah, and a lot of guys going to take pull-ups or shoot-off movement. But Polish like, Batum? Yeah, Polish Batum. Uh, cooler hair. Whereas Bosham is a little bit more volatile. It's tough. Bosham is tough. Night guys in general is tough. To it's, like, yeah. it's a tough evaluation environment. With them, with them, and this is the last thing we could we can end on, I one thing I struggle with with the night. This weekend, one of my to-do list items is to watch more recent Ignite games because what they do with the roles is beneficial for the kids' development because they usually make the right decisions. But I wonder, like, Kuminga's a perfect example. I was very low on Kuminga because I was like, whoever drafts him is probably going to try to get him to be some fucking T-Mac, Paul George dude, and he can't do that. And Golden State's like, actually, he's going to be a small ball five from the get-go even though he's like 12 years old and also plays him four, and he's only going to make shots. He can dunk in for the first five months of his career, but he's shown more than that too. But yeah, he has. you're right. He has. You're right. That has been the pathway for him. Yeah. He's now, now he's like taking mid range shots and all types of shit. Um, but like in the beginning, they kept it very simple and put him in a, in an out of the box role to me, other people smarter than me said like, I distinctly remember, I don't even remember who, but like I remember a bunch of some people on Twitter saying, like, who, whoever whoever takes him should, the best way to use him is in a small, small ball big role. And then, you know, Green, they, Green, he is Green. Like, everybody knew what kind of prospect he was, but they were like, you're going to get off ball reps. You're not going to be the initiator. You're going to be off ball the whole fucking year, and you're going to learn to dig and recover. And you're going to work on your pick and roll, your side pick and rolls and all that shit. And all of that stuff has paid off. Like, it's made him better for it. And, you know, this year you have Dyson. They're like, we're giving you point guard reps. Jalen Hardy, they're like, you're going to get fucking Dame Lillard reps right now, like, for the whole season. Like, no matter how inefficient you are. So that's not to say that those guys will automatically succeed in those roles. But the question of do they keep the same roles... And what does that mean for their development? So for Dyson, it's like, 
do you put him in a connector role instead of a point guard role, or do you let him continue as a point guard? For Beauchamp, it's like, do you continue to put him in the 3 and D energy role, or do you explore more on-ball? Can you talk a little bit about Dyson as well? I think Dyson and Beauchamp, I would love your opinion, I think. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of Knicks fans would, because it is March, and they're watching a lot of the guys we've talked about a lot, but they're not going to be able to see much of Dyson Daniels or Marjan Beauchamp, so... Are those guys that the Knicks should be looking at at 12, 13, or 10, or 9, or 8? Well, I'm going to give a boring answer and say, get. I got to get back to you, really, because I kind of thought, like, from just the armchair scouting percentage uh, perspective, I sort of closed the book on them and Jalen Hardy a while ago, but then all three of them... Well, not, Beauchamp has been pretty steady, actually, so put him aside, but, like, Dyson and Hardy started in the last 10 games reaching new levels of efficiency that be like they all, but they both Hardy began to drive finally, allegedly. I haven't watched it. That's what people tell me. And his efficiency has ticked up. He was like below 40% for most of the year. And for the last 10 games, he's been like 45, 40, 85. And then Dyson, who was good at everything, except didn't drive all the way to the rim that much and didn't shoot threes well in the last 10 games have shot like 40% from three. So I got to, I got to kind of see what's up because the appeal of Dyson to me, and if his shooting is decent and I've always thought his form was better than his percentage. I don't think he's a good shooter, but I don't think he's a bad shooter. And he's somebody who he played point guard for the Australian team and he's playing point guard for the ignite. And, he always does the quickly thing where he stops short of the rim and he loves to go to his floater similar to quickly. Um, but you know, he's young. So hopefully just like quickly, he can progress past that. He's obviously significantly bigger than quickly at six, six. Um, but even if he doesn't become a big rim guy, like that's not, that's not the appeal of his game. The appeal of his game is he's like a lockup defender and a very good passer and switchable and all that. So, He's somebody who like you like we don't have a connector. We don't have a a, a Halliburton, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart guy who can play off ball, lock up. You could stick on the opposing team's best guard or wing who can run a pick and roll in a pinch, who can push in transition, like Is RJ the closest we have to that? Or do you think that that's not even a, a- fair statement to make not really because rj's out here to score he's not really out here to connect and like we want him to pass more and he does pass but like could cam ever be that then i don't think so yeah cam can be a, to me a, a occasionally do like somebody who does good passes and he could be like a three and d and bonus three d plus but like he just all those guys like Hart, caruso donzo these guys process the game and they don't, I'm sorry, I, I keep naming Knicks, but Grimes is the last one I'll name in that. Yeah, name. I think Grimes can be something, can be someone like that because he, you see it like he'll get a pass and know like what the next pass should be, or whether he should shoot it. Like he, or he knows that this is the read I have to make to make that. Decision. Yeah, yeah. Occasionally, when he has to put it on the floor, he still has those moments where it looks like he's like off of five Red Bulls and he's just like the fucking energizer bunny. <laughs> so yeah. once he like relaxes and that outside the arc 
processing begins to translate. I think he has some ability to to be like that. But Dyson is like this guy is he plays like an old man. He plays like a thirty year old. He's he rarely makes bad decisions on either end and he never gets sped up on either end. So he would definitely bring something new, although I don't know, he's just a like he's a if you pick him, you're just betting on the fact that he's a fucking good basketball player, right? Like he's like nineteen and he could play the one, the two, and the three. And that you're like, we're picking him because he can make RJ Barrett better and everyone else better and quickly better by yeah. being out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, we haven't, I know we did want to talk a little bit about the end of this draft a little bit or the end of the first round. Um, I know Londis Williams is a guy you're a big fan of. Um, you know, do you want to talk a little bit about the likelihood of the Knicks picking back in the first round or? I don't think there's any chance they pick Alondis. As much as I love him, I think it's literally zero chance. You don't think because they won't buy back in the first round and they're too high? No, I think they could move back or buy another pick. It just wouldn't be for him. I think they're very happy with... um, But wouldn't he complement the current core of guards better than like a Ty Ty or or even Kennedy Chandler? Yeah, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think there's a chance they pick any of them. I think they're gonna go after Sexton or Brogdon or Brunson, and if they don't get one of them, they'll just have Rose and quickly, and hopefully no Rose. <laughs> hopefully no Rose. I mean, I'd rather Rose than fucking Alec Burks as the point guard. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, Alec Burks at the two. Alec, Alec Burks is starting quickly. I'm a bright and. And Yoko Bidas is like, well, I would come over, but you want Alec Burks up point? That's what he said in his interview, right? His whole interview was like, well, they're playing Alec Burks in point guard. So but he didn't he didn't name the names, but he was basically he. Basically but that's was, what that's how I interpreted that shit. You know what I mean? Like they play this dude and then this other dude, and like they're not even giving me a chance. Yeah. You know, I could play like. Yeah. That's how I interpreted it. Yeah, but, that's. I mean, that's correct. Like he's like, he basically said they have several point guards. And I'm over here winning a championship. So I'm and they have there. several people playing point guards that aren't point guards as well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't think they'll take any of them because um, they got enough guys in the pipeline, real ones or not, or fake ones, whatever. Like, so I, I just don't see them. But Alonis is a different. Here's the thing with Tai Tai. I get why they wouldn't take him, and I hope they wouldn't take him hmm. because he's not a bad prospect, but he's very much the same vein of every other. They have yeah. a bunch of six three, six four combo guard. Even Rokas to an extent. Yeah. Rokas is probably the most polished player out of the three. He plays off ball half the time. Yeah. So yeah. they're all guys who and you know, it's a little bit sad because I think their versatility plays against them. Like Deuce, mm-hmm. IQ and Rokas can all shoot and you know, be on ball and it's like, Oh, you're a combo guard, you must be a bench guy, which I think it actually works against them. But um but Alanis is 6'5". Um, Jokobaitis is pretty good at getting to the rim. Quickly and McBride for different reasons. Quickly because he's skinny. McBride because he played with 10,000 digs in the paint. Having demonstrated the ability to get to the rim, right? Um, do you think that will not play... Do you, don't you think that would play some kind of a role in, in World Wide West's head? Or, or, or Walt if they, or if they got 
if they were able to acquire him how they got like Deuce or Rokas like in the second round, I think there may be like a 15% chance because you're right. That is a skill that they sorely lack. They do like older players. Um, you know, Alondis made a name for himself. He's ACC player of the year, so he's not some nobody, right? Like most of the guys they took kick ass in college. You look at OB, Grimes, all of these guys were very like very like winning awards and all that shit so um similar in that respect i just think that their their main plan is going to be to get that skill through free agency or trade this offseason and that would be a brunson yeah, Brunson or Sexton or Brogdon. Um, those are the only three guys I can really think of. Do you and think there's any chance they just roll with the current guards in the roster? Yeah, I mean, they could strike out on those three guys. If they strike out on those three guys, then there's no one else to get, so they'll have well, to they roll with Well, they could draft Tai Tai at eight instead of, like, Keegan or something. I don't think they would do that. I think they would just roll with the current guys they have. Um, and I think they'd be fine with that and smart to do that if they... Uh, Smart pun intended, because one exactly. of their point guards is exactly like Marcus Smart. Exactly. <laughs> so I mean, like the good the good thing about Alondis is, if you want him, you could probably get him in the second round. I don't think he's going to be a first rounder. Um, so if I was Brock Allen and Walt Perrin, I'd pull another second rounder out of my butt, like they always do, and then spend it either on one of do- these bigs or on Alondis, and then. You see how Alondis does. Similar to Daishan, you could just throw him out there, let him kill, and if you see him getting to the rim at ease versus the G League guys, you just bring him up and work him in. Um, but if you have, you know, if your point guard rotation is like new point guard X and quickly and Rose, or even if Rose and Burks are gone, you still have new but point right. guard X. I mean, they, I think, I mean, do you think Deuce has done enough to earn? Being in that convo or no? Because I, I, I do the part with Schwinn. I know you and me love McBride. Every time I throw a shot with Schwinn, he's like, you know, if there's time, McBride. And I'm like, yeah, I think you ever watch this dude play. But... I think he's the odd man out. And it's not, it's less about him and more just about, like, the minutes, to be frank. Like, I, I don't think. I quickly just To be active. frank. I see what you did there. But... Yeah. See, I get infected with this shit because <laughs> of you. These dumb parts. Sorry, I mean, yeah, keep going. No, I, 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 yeah, I hear what you're saying. So it's just like, if he gets a chance to get comfortable, like, and get some actual reps other than standing in the corner and shit like that, then sure, maybe he'll demonstrate it. But right now, um, he hasn't demonstrated it as much as Rose quickly or even Burks. So there's not much he can. Dude, unless, unless Burks and Rose are gone, yeah. Unless Burks and Rose are gone, which is possible, but um, again, he's just kind of the odd man out. That's not for point guarding. He can still play as a combo. It's just a different role. But like, for them to take Alondis, it would just be a smart flyer on the skill that they lack. And even if you get that skill through free agency, you should still take that flyer because he's that fucking good. Um, I know I'm. Do you have an upside comp for Alondis Williams? Um, I don't want to say like the Hall of Fame type guys who I like, who play similar style, but they're all much better shooters. Well, if you're six five and a real point guard, your upside is going to be high. So, I think you're okay doing that. I mean, you can say Andre Andre Miller is like your floor there, right? If you think no, he's no. going to be 
No, Andre Miller couldn't fucking jump over a shoebox. <laughs> like they can both post up and are big, but like, like the guy, like Deron Williams was a great shooter, but was also gigantic and had insane handle and got to the rim at will. Baron Davis played in an era where shooting didn't really matter and was gigantic and had insane handle and got to the rim at will and realized he could have a way better quality of life by not focusing on basketball. But yeah, exactly, exactly. So. uh that like I, I in terms of family trees, you're thinking about bigger point guards who rely on their strength and have but also are up. but also are really athletic. Right. So I'm trying to think of some more I mean, is he like Dwayne Wade with like normal genes? Nah nah. I I'd rather go with the the other guys. Um just look at pulling up some random fucking guards. Honestly, Brogdon a little bit. Um, he's not the free throw shooter that Brogdon is, but they both. Like he's like a little Brogdon. like he has like. He has more of that oomph, you know, like different kinds of plays that he makes and creates, whereas Brogdon yeah. mostly makes the simple plays, right? Yeah, Dinwiddie might be another one. Um, where they That's both nice. really feast downhill. Well, didn't really he ever a great athlete even before the injuries? Yeah, yeah, he could. He was a sneaky athlete, man. He could catch like windmills and stuff back yeah, in the day. Yeah. He was just whack at everything else at the same time back in the day when he was on like the Pistons and shit. I was curious about that because I was like, once upon a time, I was trying to study guards who sucked at finishing and got good at finishing back when I was like, when we had Frank. And I was like, this Spencer's early finishing numbers weren't great. Is Frank a comp for Alondis Williams? Is like a floor comp? Frank is like the opposite psychological energy of Alondis Williams, who is the swaggiest fucking player. Do you hear that, Knicks fans? That means that, for better or for worse, um, I mean, well, in that case, Moutier. I got to bring it up. Oh, God. I didn't even think about that. Moutier is like the zeroth percentile outcome for, for Alondis Williams. So I mean, give me give me the elevator pitch on Alondis Williams. Um, so the the red flags for Alondis Williams are that he is a seventy percent free throw shooter and a thirty percent free throw shooter at an advanced age for a prospect, and older prospects are less likely to improve their shooting. So there's a higher chance that he's not a good shooter, and that that outweighs his offensive gifts, which include being by far the best in this class. And as good as anyone in most classes at getting to the rim unassisted, using handle that's elite and size. He also has incredible passing skills and he doesn't hesitate and he's very ambitious. Sometimes he'll have some turnovers because of that, but for the most part, he can make any pass. And because of his size and his vision and his willingness to manipulate the defenses, he just has access to a lot of different ways to set his teammates up without sacrificing his own scoring. He's not only elite at getting to the rim, he's also elite at the rim. He shot 65% at the rim, which is better than like most of the guards in this class, Um, which it should be because he's older, right? He's going to be 23 on draft night. Um, You know, he's working because he was a nobody at Oklahoma for two years and then came to Wake Forest and became the ACC Player of the Year in a legit conference. So you're talking about a player who you don't have to draft high, who 
is the best player by far in the draft at the thing the Knicks suck the most at. He jump shot looks mechanically better than his numbers are. And he's also a very, very high percentage long two-point and mid-range shooter. You're talking like mid-high 40s. He spent most of the season around 50% on long twos and then had a little downtick towards the end of the year, which is a good sign for his shooting. So really, you're talking about somebody who, you know, you get him with an NBA. He's not out of shape. He's a great athlete, but he could definitely be in a little better shape. You're talking about somebody who you get with NBA strength conditioning coach, tighten up that core strength, tighten up that jump shot, and there's literally nothing he can't do on offense at the most important position that we suck at the most for the longest. So why not use the 30 right, well, I know you uh, want to get out, but I want to I ask you this. How much should it matter these moving parts? Mm-hmm. Um, RJ starting to look like, okay, he's not there yet. Clearly, he can't hit a pull-up shot. But he's showing, like, like you know, if it's a painting, the edge strokes are coming into play, are, are, are visible now. Yeah. And the fact that, at the same time, the other player that's young and probably the Knicks' second-best prospect, in my opinion, um, if you think it's Grimes, that's fair. The next second best prospect, right? So RJ is this guy who isn't quite a star wing, but has shades of it. And then we have another player who is not quite a star point guard, but is starting to show shades of it, right? He's making passes that you don't expect him to make before. Mm-hmm. He's getting two feet within five feet of the rim. He just will not take a shot within five feet of the rim. Um, he's starting he's, to take them. What? <laughs> He's starting to take them a little incrementally more, right? It's a baby step. It counts. <laughs> I mean, like I think R- like I mean, this is what I'll say. Like RJ developing a great pull-up game would open up things for quickly, unbelievably. And the opposite is true too, right? If quickly became someone who could put pressure on the rim, that would open up things for RJ. But R- RJ is really the center of the focus. Um. You know, in terms of that is the guy, right? And I think he's shown enough where, like, it's not it's not quite like KP, but it's, like, for the near future, he is good enough at being perhaps the guy that we can start to build around him. And I think he, because of the versatility of his game, he's also not someone who needs the ball. So you can surround him with players that can both complement his on-ball tendencies while also... Um, you know, helping alleviate some of that pressure. I think quickly is actually the best example of that, but there's other guys too. Uh, I think Brunson's a good example of that too. How much does what RJ is becoming and who he is and who quickly is becoming and who he is, how much should that matter from a team building perspective? And how much does that influence how you think about the draft and free agency? So for, I don't really consider quickly that much in team construction, not because he's not awesome, but because just my threshold for current players who I would consider. That's very fair. Yeah. Is, is just really high. Like RJ has just cleared that and yep. he's the only one on the team. Mitch hasn't cleared that for you. I would imagine. Right. Mitch was close to clearing it last year. And uh, now he's not clearing it. Not because he's not good. I think he's still actually solid. He just. And, and like in the last five to six years, is it fair to say KP and RJ are the only two players for the Knicks who have cleared that? Yeah, I mean, Julius last year, but... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't consider him a young player, but that's fair. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right, you're right, you're right, yeah. yeah. 
so definitely KP and RJ. Um, and for as for, even as far as RJ, because he's a wing, and you know he could, he's pretty versatile and he could shoot. Like the extent of the consideration on roster stuff to me is like ah, maybe put a little bit more of a premium on shooting, which we should probably do anyway, just in general, right? Like, for example, like look at AJ Griffin. Like I ideally AJ Griffin is a three, not a two. He's similar to RJ. He's built like a fucking tank. Probably shouldn't be chasing like some Emmanuel quickly looking dude like around screens and shit like that. But you live with it because he's a ridiculous shooter. So yeah, it means him or RJ might have to do a little bit of get a little more cardio on defense. But on offense, it doesn't really affect you at all because he can shoot, which is really what you need when you're next to RJ. It'd be different if he was a two who was too big to chase guys. And then also was like a miss shooter. Cause then you're like, okay, well, how are we really helping RJ here? And how is this person individually contributing? A lot? And they have multiple guys like that. Right. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I mean, um, I, I do says not gotten to play much, but you know, like I think he fits that mold too. Yeah, absolutely. It's not an accident um, that they like guys who can, shoot on and off ball, play on and off ball. You're saying um, that the Knicks front office has a plan and it's and not just that they've tried to screw over Tom Thibodeau out of some spike? I know. They're yeah. not just trying to build a, what is it, a, a gutted, rudderless roster? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for like Alondis, it doesn't, like I, I, I think people, Knicks fans especially underestimate the amount of, the amount you can share a ball and be good because our last two stars have been extremely isolation heavy and haven't had very good on ball uh, sidekicks. Right. So like, unless, I mean, you can sort of count Rose last year and he was very good on ball, but um, you know, if you look at all the really good teams in the NBA, like they usually have at least three guys who are pretty fucking filthy on ball and none of them managed to like have meltdowns as teams because of it right like drew chris Giannis, all incredible on ball tobias harden maxi and b like they're fucking fine the nets they're fine even but boston they're all all of those had a generational player right and being yeah but my point is like easier on the maxis and drew holidays of the world and that's yeah, but, not to say that Maxie yeah it's true much more but those guys aren't my point is those guys aren't reduced to spot up shooters on those teams yeah. They still get to do on-ball stuff. And that's because those teams play smart offenses where like, the primary elite generational guy can warp the defense within the first seven seconds of the shot clock and then kick it. And then the on-ball players get to do on-ball stuff with an extra handicap, with an advantage. The Knicks have never really had teams to do that, even last year with Julius or in 2013 with Carmelo, right? Like, Melo, like, we... Both ironically, both teams were built very similarly with like isolation and bombs away from three. And that was the main fulcrum for the offense and defense. So like I do think I think I really think that's why Knicks fans underestimate and say shit like, well, like, how can Evan get pick and roll reps if Julius and RJ are here? I'm like, bro, like if Drew Holiday and Tobias Harris can get some on ball reps, like so can Evan fucking Fournier. All right, like like we don't have three hall of famers in front of him or anything like that. So anyway, it's a really good question. 
and one that I think uh, Nick's draft heads would do well to heed. Um, uh, you know, let let us get a guy who could create on ball and shoot. Right? Hopefully, it's Ivy, but. Spend that spend that extra pick that you that you buy off a of broke boy Robert Sarver on Alondis Leon. You can do it. I have faith in you. Um, on that note, I'm going to take us home. Stacy, thank you for joining me for this uh, exceptionally fun nerd out session. Always a pleasure. Um, tell the folks where they can find you. Find me at Stacy Patton eighty nine on Twitter, um, or if you follow Tommy D, who's protected, he quote <laughs> tweets about. 80% of my tweets, so you can it's find weird. It's It's very normal, and he seems to be a very well-adjusted person. He definitely doesn't need therapy. Um, I am actually, I have decided to write an article on Quickly. Um, just have you ever wrote one on Quickly? <laughs> I wrote, I have not wrote one since before the draft. That's crazy. So I just wrote funny like, you spent like a million tweets out quickly. <laughs> well, I, I wrote an article about quickly before the draft, and my conclusion after that article, after writing and doing all the research, was like, he's late first. Like, when we picked him, I was like, eh, we should have picked Bane, maybe? Or like, um, or like Tyrell Terry, even? I would have said, <laughs> or no, 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 no. It wasn't Tyrell. I would not have taken Tyrell Terry over quickly. I wanted Bane. I wanted Flynn. I wanted Malachi Flynn. Mm. So, like, but I still had quickly in the 25 to 30 range, but it's crazy how many people, like, were like, I saw your article and I was just like, that's the dude. So maybe, like, I see the right things and I just don't capitalize them, on them properly. I think that's the thing a lot of us do. And this is a good note to end on. Like, I find myself looking back at stuff I wrote and I'm like, this describes a 14th pick. Why did I have this person ranked 29th or something like that? Well, see, like, I, I was just reading that quickly article again, and I was like, when he does go to the rim and finish, he's really good at, he was even in Kentucky, he was good at using his body mm-hmm. to like shield because he can't jump high, right? Because he, he isn't, you know, like Donovan Mitchell or John Morant. Uh, and I think like Schwinn was someone who picked up on that immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but that's an interesting part of the process. But um, I do want to write about just like where he's been because I think that it's been lost because he had such a bad shooting season. And by the way, a bad shooting season, and not just bad, it's a horrible shooting season for quickly as he's thirty four percent from three with half of his shots being pull ups. So like, <laughs> if he got the Kevin Knox shot diet, he'd be probably still really good. So um, and he's improved with everything else. And um, I think I'm going to write about that. Anyway, this is not time for arguments, but look out for that. Look out for more draft stuff. Um, I didn't get to talk about John Butler today, but I'm going to write something about that because my one He's your son. thorn in the side of buying a first-round pick to draft someone against Prez is to say, I'd rather take John Butler than Alondis Williams. Because John Butler can be fucking insane, I think. We'll we'll have you back for that discussion at some point once we get to the second round steals part of the uh, part of the cycle, probably in June. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's always just a blast. Just uh, I don't I don't know if we went in exactly the right same directions as you wanted to go from the start, but um, it was a lot of fun. 
We went in the directions that the people in the streets needed us to go, Stacy, and that's all that matters. Everybody else, thank you for riding with us for almost two hours, and we will catch you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.